Hey girlfriend, this is Jan James. Welcome to the Hope After Breast Cancer podcast, where women who have endured breast cancer learn to have fulfillment over frustration, clarity over confusion, and faith over fear. We tackle the issues that many of our sisters face after a breast cancer diagnosis, from brain fog to fear of recurrence, from menopause to sex after breast cancer. This is the place to learn how to have hope after breast cancer. So strap yourself in. Welcome to the Hope After Breast Cancer podcast. Hi everyone, it's Jan James with Hope After Breast Cancer and I'm delighted um, to have Lisa Nicholson, master acupuncturist and knower of all things complementary medicine wise with us today. And we're gonna talk about a, a topic that is a little unusual but because of my breast cancer advocacy, I have heard so many women complain about trigger finger or other cramping that happens, especially during treatment. So Lisa is here to talk to us about some ways that we can uh, improve um, the healing of that. So hi, Lisa. Hi, Jan. Hi. So I'm excited about this topic because I just know, for me, I didn't have trigger finger, but oh my gravy, I had so much calf cramping during treatment. And it just, it, it was so maddening because I couldn't figure out how to get rid of it. But talk to us a little bit about what causes that kind of stuff, would you? Well, there's, there's a bunch of things that cause it. Um, the cramp and the cramping in the trigger fingers actually have different types of mechanisms. So they're connected, but not connected. A lot of times the cramping is because of an electrolyte imbalance. You know, when we're going through treatment between the chemo and the radiation and the after treatment medications, there's um, a lot that happens metabolically in our bodies. And if we're not perfectly hydrated, then we may have electrolyte imbalances. And if we're doing everything our doctors tell us and drinking that three liters of water a day and not replacing electrolytes, then we can be electrolyte depleted. So for cramping, the two things that I usually recommend are to add some sports drink to the water bottle so that you're getting a full spectrum of electrolytes every couple of bottles. You, know, you probably don't want to do it for every single glass of water that you drink, but about every three to four, eight to 12 ounce glasses that you're consuming, either a little pinch of Himalayan sea salt that has a whole spectrum of minerals in it, or one of the electrolyte replacements, and, and the ones I tend to recommend in my practice are the ones that the really long-distance marathoners and ultra-distance cyclists use. And the reason for that is that they are designed to be very low sugar and very mildly flavored, but still have enough electrolytes to keep somebody who's been exercising extensively and sweating extensively and trying to stay hydrated in a good electrolyte state. Um, and I can certainly name specific brands if you want. One thing I will say is stay away from the stuff that is fluorescently colored in the supermarket because there's way more high fructose corn syrup than electrolytes in there. And what we want really are the electrolytes. Well, and on the Gatorade, um, which I think everybody's thinking about right now, um, don't they have, do they have a non-sugar or low sugar alternative that's a Gatorade. I can't remember what it's called, but 
You know, they they might. I've actually steered away from Gatorade in all of the years that I've done endurance athletics and also in going through my treatment because I find the flavors to be so cloyingly sweet and I don't want the artificial colors. It consistently just has upset my stomach. Now, I, I know other people that do great on it. So, you know, I'm not trying to disparage the product. I just don't have enough knowledge because it's not one that I've liked for myself. Sure. What brands have you uh, tended to go towards? So my favorite these days is from a company called Scratch Labs, and that's S-K-R-A-T-C-H. They make both bags and little single-serving powders, and they've got about a dozen flavors, and it's a full-spectrum electrolyte that's very low sugar, no artificial colors, um, so it really just has the good stuff in it. The, that one is widely available through sporting goods stores, but not so easily found in the grocery store. Um, Amazon carries it. Um, and I would I don't know if it's available outside of the U.S., but I know within the U.S. we can get it on Amazon. And the other one that I've seen at Whole Foods, and I that's about the only one of the bigger natural grocery stores that I shop at, um, but I know they carry it, is from a company called Noon, and they spell it N-U-U-N. Um, and it's got a couple of little dots over one or both of those U's. And that one is really interesting because it comes in a little cylinder package, and they're little uh, pellets like an Alka-Seltzer tablet. And you just plop them in, and they actually fizz like an Alka-Seltzer. So they give you that little bit of bicarbonate along with the electrolytes, which if you're already feeling a little off in the stomach while you're going through treatment is kind of an extra two thumbs up bonus. Wow. Awesome. Great suggestion. So, Good. Yeah. You know, that's my favorite thing for the leg cramps. Second favorite thing for leg cramps, and this one's an old wives' tale that my mother-in-law got years and years ago from a physical therapist, and I've recommended this to so many patients and had it work for them, is a little shot of tonic water. It's and the it's the quinine. Yep, I it's the quinine. Yeah, right. Okay. I have no idea what the mechanism is and why it works, but when it works, it really works. Wow. Great to so, know. Now, what about the trigger finger? I Again, I never had that, but boy, it sounds like it's so painful. Well, the trigger finger seems to happen not so much during the active chemo radiation phase of treatment where I'm seeing it in the support groups that I'm in and in my patient base and also where I experienced this myself was after starting on aromatase inhibitors. Right. And, and those, you know, for those that don't know, those are the medications that are given to people with estrogen receptor positive breast cancers to block the production of estrogen. And estrogen is one of the things that actually helps to keep our joints and the, the fluid in the tendon sheaths lubricated. So the way our bones move, I mean, using my fingers, you can see when I just move the hand, everything moves smoothly. And that's because there are tendons that attach on either side of each of these fingers. They come up to muscles that are up here in the forearms. And all of those tendons are surrounded with a layer of connective tissue, and there's a fluid inside of there that should feel a little bit slippery like oil. Well, when our estrogen levels are dropped, particularly when they're dropped artificially, 
that fluid doesn't have the same level of lubrication and it gets kind of sticky. And I don't have like uh, medical research that says this. I'm getting some of this from just my own experience of it, where like now when I move my fingers like this, they just move. I don't think about it. But when I first started on the aromatase inhibitors and I would, after a month or so on them, I would start to do that and it would feel like instead of gliding, it would be sticky. So it'd be kind of this needing to ratchet down and ratchet back up and they didn't glide as well. And it kind of felt like there was peanut butter in there or honey that had been in the refrigerator too long that felt just sticky and thick rather than a smooth glide. And what happens is that over time, as that fluid thickens more, you develop nodules on the tendons. Now these tendons are attached to your bones with little bits of connective tissue called tendon sheaths. And if you have a nodule on the tendon that's too big to smoothly pass through a very narrow space of the sheath, what happens is you bend your finger and it gets stuck because that nodule can't move through. And there are different grades to trigger fingers. You know, if you can if you can manually do or get it to move on your own, that's one grade. If you have to manually uncurl your hands to make it move, that's another grade. And if it doesn't even uncurl that way, that's another grade still. And you really don't want to get it to that final grade because at that point you end up in a situation where what the allopathic world has to offer is to go in and surgically open up that, um, that pulley to allow for the movement and or to remove the nodules. So the first thing that the my oncologist said to me when I said, hey, my middle fingers are triggering on both hands and oh, by the way, I'm an acupuncturist and my hands are my living and this is not okay, right. was, um, well, I can send you to ortho for some steroid injections and maybe surgery. And I looked at her like she had four heads and said, why would I take another drug? Why are you not referring me to physical therapy as a starting point? Because if I can exercise and stretch my way out of this, why would I take another drug? And she gave me kind of an odd look and went, huh, never thought about that before. Um, I'm not even sure I know how to make a referral to physical therapy, but let me see what I can do because this is so far outside of the norm. Oncologists are awesome at getting rid of cancer, but they don't necessarily know how to manage some of the weirder side effects and things that are outside of the oncology realm that come up as we're getting further along and you know, past the chemo part of our treatment. So she did actually refer me to, it turns out that for hands, you go to an occupational therapist and for everything else, you go to a physical therapist. And so I went to an occupational therapist and what we found is that this was really counterintuitive. The exercises that she thought were going to help actually kind of made things worse. And the things that she gave me as an aside, just to do some balancing work actually made things better. And we never fully figured out why that was, because you would think if something is pulling your fingers this way, that anything that makes you grip more would make it worse. 
But what I found was that opening and closing the grip repetitively against some resistance was the thing that loosened it up the most. Mm. And even better yet was doing all of these exercises in the shower because the heat seems to help with anything that's kind of sticky will flow with heat. And actually we, we have a saying in Chinese medicine that cold contracts and heat expands. And so we don't often recommend ice and cold in the world of Chinese medicine, because for the most part, we want circulation to flow. Yeah. I found that cold, anything cold just made the stiffness and the pain in the hands and also the triggering worse. So one of the things that my OT gave me, and I just happened to have them sitting here because my house was chilly this morning, are these nice little arthritis gloves. So these guys are light compression. It's not the same kind of compression that you would use for lymphedema that has a specific amount of compression. Mm -hmm. The goal of these is to keep the warmth of your body close to the skin and keep it in. And I sleep in these things every night now. And even through the summer, I sleep in these things. And I have a set in my office where if I'm doing paperwork and my office is a little bit chilly and I'm on the keyboard, I put them on. If I'm walking around the house and I'm not doing something where my hands need to be in water in the kitchen, I put them on. The more heat I keep in those hands, the happier everything is. And you can see that I'm, I'm not triggering. So what we did worked for this. Now, acupuncture also can be really helpful for trigger fingers. And when I treat this in my clinic, we do a couple of things. We look at the areas, first, first of all, look at which knuckle, which joint is it that's catching? Because there's one up here, there's one here, there's one here, and it could be any or all of those. And then we thread the needles right along those pulleys and try to get more blood flow in there and get more fluid into that area so that things glide a little bit better. And then we look further up the chain, where are the knots in the muscles? Because almost always, if things are tight enough that they're not moving, there's gonna be a big old knot somewhere, either on the extensor part of the arm or the flexor part of the arm. So we needle right into those knots and release the muscle tissue that's adding tension into the system. And then in my world, I also am trained as a body worker and find that the needles do a great job of allowing me to get deeper with my thumbs and reducing the amount of pain that that would cause if I just started going in there with the thumbs. So it ends up being a combination of deep tissue release with, with manual therapy, a good solid stretching and strengthening program for the hands, needling around the tendon pulleys, and then a whole lot of heat is what I've used. And that combination for a lot of us makes enough of a difference that you can get back to that point where, yeah, maybe first thing in the morning you have to unkink it yourself, but once you get moving and the day goes on, it kind of goes away. And then, you know, maybe if you've been still for a couple of hours, it's a little tight again. But if you do a couple of repetitions of stretches, it starts to glide. And once you get the glide back, it stays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, so I was on hormone blockers two for five years and started on tamoxifen, then went on the AIs after that. 
and had um, so much systemic pain, uh, which a lot of us <laughs> complain yeah. about. Oh right? my gosh, yeah, you it's know? the number one complaint. Oh my goodness, yeah. And a lot of girls don't have it, and that's awesome. But the ones of us that do, you know, it's just, you know, it can even be debilitating. So mm -hmm. it's um, just quickly, because it's I'm just talking off the cuff here. When you're talking about heat, it makes sense what you're saying about that stickiness to kind of loosen up everything. However, I also, in my Western medicine brain, are say, I'm saying um, heat means inflammation. So how does how does how do you reconcile that for me? Well, it's it's a it's a yes, but um, yeah, because inflammation can generate a lot of heat, but it doesn't necessarily. And and that's in the allopathic way of thinking. When you have inflammation, there's heat, and therefore you should use cold to counteract that heat and to reduce the inflammation. Now, what we say in Chinese medicine is that cold contracts. So if you have a situation where you don't have enough fluid flow and everything is kind of tight and contracted in the muscles along with that inflammation, and then you add cold, you tighten everything up even more which restricts the blood flow even more, which means that what inflammation you have is just trapped in there. Gotcha. Okay. And while you may relieve the symptoms temporarily, you kind of, you win the war or you win the battle, but you lose the war, so to speak. Right. Right. So, you know, a lot of times we end up recommending heat and moxibustion is a huge part of Chinese medicine where we actually burn herbs over the skin and sometimes on the needle. I don't do a lot of it in my practice because my respiratory system doesn't like to inhale the smoke. But the warm, but the theory is that you increase the blood flow and you do it with an herb that has exactly the right uh, frequency of both light and heat waves that works with the body's healing me mechanisms, you may increase the inflammation in the short run as the, you get more blood flow and more white blood cell production in that area. But you also, in dilating the blood vessels, allow for the body to clear all of that stuff out where it gets stuck when everything is contracted. Wow, how interesting. Oh, yeah. I'm so grateful that you're talking about these things for us because I mean that I can still recall the cramping. I actually ended up, you know, I go to what I had. I took muscle relaxers and I hated that for cramping. You know, I just was like, that doesn't make any sense. There must be a way to get rid of this. So it, I just appreciate your knowledge yeah. and giving us some complementary ways that we can um, take care of those kinds of side effects because I think so many yeah. of us suffer from those. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You know, and something else I want to add there. Complementary is just that. It's complementary. So one of the things that ended up saving me with the aromatase inhibitor, and I'm two and a half years into a five-year course, which I suspect, given what I know about my particular cancer, is going to be extended like indefinitely. Um, I had so much body pain and it wasn't just the hands and feet, but it was bordering on debilitating. My oncologist really pushed me to try uh, Cymbalta 
And that's what it's a serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. So it's in the antidepressant class of drugs. There is some good science behind its efficacy for aromatase inhibitor induced pain. And I went kicking and screaming because I've had my issues with depression on and off for all of my adult life and have managed it through exercise and diet and breath work and meditation and not, you know, managed to stay off of drugs for that and done really well. So to have to take that for pain was like, are you kidding me? And, but we were kind of at a point of, I was going to need to go off of this drug and go to tamoxifen, which being postmenopausal is less effective for minimizing recurrence rates. And so I agreed to give her six weeks. And my pain level dropped 70% in the first 48 hours on half the dose she wanted me to take. Wow. Yeah. Now, I know other people that have had absolutely no impact whatsoever from that drug, but have done great with gabapentin or have done great with a muscle relaxer. So we're all different. Mm -hmm. We all come into this treatment with different constitutions and different genetic makeups. And what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for the next person. And if complementary care, like if you can manage the side effects of all of this with a few supplements and diet, Oh my gosh, I love it. Two thumbs up and I totally advocate for starting there. But there is a point where integrative medicine is integrative medicine and the drugs are there for a reason and they can be helpful. So, you know, and that coming from an acupuncturist. You know, I know you're reluctant to say that. but I, I am reluctant no, to say that, but I think it's important too. It's a great, it's a great reminder too to me that um, we always uh, talk to our women about being their own best advocate. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's a reminder to me that um, many of us were taught to be respectful to authority. And so doctors were always in that bucket for me. But in advocating for yourself, really, we're, you know, one adult to another, one to, you know, me to a medical mm -hmm. professional, mm -hmm. you know what, okay, I'll do it for six weeks or I'll do it for four weeks. In the case of me um, complaining about the bone and joint pain that I had from tamoxifen, I actually agreed to a two-week trial off um, to, to prove to my oncologist that it was really the tamoxifen giving mm -hmm. me pain and not my brain or something else. Yep. He was arguing with me. So I think that, you know, we all have to be free to be able to do that. And so it's a great reminder that... Um, trying something for a short period to see how your body responds is really, mm -hmm. there's a lot of wisdom in that, Lisa. So thanks for sharing that. Appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks so much for being here. And ladies, um, watch for Lisa's um, other videos on hopeafterbreastcancer.com. And also you can find out more about Lisa and how to contact her through our Meet Our Experts page. So we'll see you again soon. Take care. All right. Take Bye -bye. care. Thanks, Jan. Bye. Bye. Girlfriend, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. I hope you found some nuggets to encourage you and give you hope. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You never want to miss an episode. And we'd love to know how we're doing. So please be sure to leave us a review. Until next time. This is Jan James encouraging you to remember there is hope after breast cancer. See you next time.